welcome to the Spartan News. I'm Army Master Sergeant Thomas Wheeler, and I'm your host. In this episode, we change things up a little and speak with Task Force Spartan Public Affairs NCOs about the missions they've covered over the past few weeks. So let's get started. So we've had a pretty busy month um, over, over July, and today I have Sergeant Trevor Collin, one of our PA NCOs, who's provided much of the coverage that we're about to go over. We'll also have Sergeant Andrew Valenza and Sergeant Andrew Winchell with us as well. But right now we'll start off with Sergeant Cullen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So as we were talking about, we've covered quite a bit over the last month. And some of those things I wanted to talk with our PA NCOs about for this edition of the Spartan News. Tell me about, in particular, the KLEs you've been covering over the last uh, three weeks. Roger. So what we've been doing uh, in the region is we've been working with our host nation partners. So Task Force Spartan has various sections all the way from aviation to engineering that will go out and interact with our host nation partners. Part of that interaction is called key leader engagements. So leaders from Task Force Spartan will go over and speak to leaders from the Kuwait Land Forces or the Kuwait Air Force. Uh, In two cases, we went to aviation uh, key leader engagements where soldiers from Task Force Spartan's aviation section met with uh, aviators from the Kuwait Air Force. This is a very unprecedented thing because usually the Air Force of Kuwait and the Air Force of the United States directly deal with each other. The Army usually doesn't cross over. But because since the Army does have aviation assets in Kuwait, they're going and now talking uh, through and opening channels of communication in order to better help our partners and our friends in the region. So what were some of the things that they were talking about? I, I mean, I know the main reason why um, the Army is involved with the Kuwaiti Air Force at this point is because um, helicopter-wise, um, our helicopters usually fall under the Army. The helicopters in the Kuwaiti military belong to the Kuwaiti Air Force. Is that correct? Yes. So that's what were some of the things they were discussing um, or, or some of the things they were trying to work on? So with our aviation assets, um, we, particularly in Task Force Spartan, have the uh, General Aviation Support Battalion, which provides uh, lift assets and medevac assets. Um, part of that is some standard operating procedures that exist for our aircraft when they're um, providing aid to people. Sometimes involves taking them to host station hospitals. Uh, Part of that is when you're moving a medevac through a city, we want to make sure that we're flying neighborly. So you did one special one recently with uh, engineers. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. So the engineer KLE that we conducted, we went over to the Kuwaiti Land Forces Engineer School. Um, This is the school that trains everyone who's going to be an engineer from your junior NCOs all the way up to your field grade officers. Um, All these engineers uh, will follow three different routes. Uh, They have the plant, which is moving equipment. They have EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal, and then they have combat rules, which would be similar to the U.S. Army's 12 Bravos, uh, the combat engineers. So we'll go through, and uh, basically the conversations that were had uh, from our task force uh, Spartan chief of engineering um, is basically going through how can we assist in training and how can we uh, do mutually beneficial training. So we talked a lot about uh, subject matter expert exchanges, where we can take someone who is uh, very well-versed in a certain engineering thing, and that could teach the Kuwaitis. And also, the Kuwaitis, since we're, we're in their backyard, they're used to working in a very hot, sandy environment, and they might have some uh, tools or tricks of the trade that they know for dealing with that heat. 
we can go through and uh, learn things from both people to make both uh, organizations stronger. So it was a very cool opportunity to go through and see that uh, not only are we assisting our host nation partners, but we're also taking our soldiers and training. But that wasn't the like the surprise. We talked about it um, after you got back. What was the surprise when you got there? So one of the big surprises we had was um, I was not tracking that the uh, – her Majesty's Armed Forces were actually there in an advisory capacity assisting the Kuwaiti engineers. So there were uh, British warrant officers that are assigned to the Kuwait Engineering School and to the Kuwait Army that are assisting and uh, basically giving additional guidance and um, really taking their experience because a lot of the Kuwait engineering model is modeled after the British Army. So we were also fortunate enough that we got to uh, speak with some of uh, Her Majesty's soldiers and we're able to go through and really kind of learn how they interact um, with the host nation as well. So we can take that and almost have a, a three uh, country because it's always better to have uh, more partners than less. And then recently you also got a chance to take part in a patching ceremony. Tell me a little bit about that. So uh, like I previously said about the General Aviation Support Battalion, um, the GSAB folks fall under the 34th uh, infantry Division, which is the Red Bulls, and uh, the Red Bulls have an element that's uh, located in Saudi Arabia, um, and as a result of that, um, that's deemed a combat zone, so they are authorized to shoulder sleeve insignia for former wartime service. So uh, the battalion commander and the battalion sergeant major went over and patched those soldiers. Um, it was very cool to watch because it's literally history in the making. You have these soldiers who are receiving this, and it's a permanent award because for the rest of their career, they're authorized to wear that shoulder sleeve insignia. So it was it was definitely very cool and a very special moment to go ahead and see that these soldiers are receiving uh, something that's going to definitely be cherished for the rest of their career. And most recently, you covered a uh, an exercise here involving HIMARS. Talk to me about that. So the HIMARS uh, training that we went to was uh, more or less via CENTCOM guidance. There is a flexible response force that has to be available. So we have HIMARS uh, located all through the Central Command area of responsibility, and they literally just did training on how to take the rocket pods and quickly load them into the launchers and then move to the site where they could go ahead and utilize those field artillery capabilities. This was conducted by the 4th Battalion of the 103rd Field Artillery Regiment. Let me tell you, these soldiers were outstanding working in extreme heat, and it was definitely extremely humid that day, and these soldiers performed excellently. Uh, it was really cool to see uh, the amount of teamwork that they have, not only with uh, specifically just their squad, but um, part of these load exercises is you have uh, multiple trucks next to each other. So not only do they have to worry about their certain areas, but they also have to worry about their left and right limits. So you had crew chiefs that were coming around making sure that when they're turning launchers, they're not uh, causing any safety violations or possibly harming any vehicles or any personnel. So it is definitely a very uh, cool and a very fun thing to look at because who doesn't love seeing rockets? I don't know how you saw anything considering that day. I mean, we were talking about the uh, issues with the cameras and the lens is fogging up and whatnot. I mean, every time I walk outside, my glasses instantly fog. Yes, it's, it's definitely, definitely It's definitely difficult, especially with the cameras. <laughs> I just got to stand out there for a couple minutes and wait to climatize. But fortunately enough, uh, we got some workarounds and we were able to still get some good footage. Be able to make sure that those guys are getting credit for the work they're doing. Because like I said, they're doing a strenuous job and they're also doing that job in extreme heat. Well, thanks, Sergeant Colin, for joining us. Until next time.
So now we have Sergeant Andrew Winchell. He's another public affairs NCO with the Task Force Spartan Public Affairs Office, and he covers uh, several things as well. Recently, he covered uh, a couple of um, classes as well as covering down on some of the things our logistics folks are doing. Welcome, Sergeant Winchell. So, like I said, you, you covered down on, on, on quite a few things. Get, Let's start with the supply story. Um, can you give me a little bit uh, or give me your take on the coverage that you provided and kind of like anything that, you know, you, you learned out of it or important points from it and things that others might want to know or be interested in knowing? Well, pretty much with the supply story, I went over what it is, what our supply has to do to get us from home station to mobile station and then from mobile station over, overseas and then back home again. And being one of the active members of the Guard with them, I kind of knew what the process was leading up to mobile station. Then at mobile station, I obviously separated off and, you know, went with my section for public affairs. But when we were back stateside, I don't think a lot of people realize how much falls on the full-timers, especially when you're preparing for mobilization. So I think writing the article, you know, helped open the eyes to some people, like, because we have our M-Day force, which is your traditional weekend drillers, you know, that one weekend a month. But we don't have those guys, you know, because they, when we get them that one weekend a month, we can't really utilize them for the things to get us ready because there's other training that they have to do as well. You know, nothing against our M-Day force, but that's what their, their duty is. It's to show up, do what they need to do for that drill weekend, and then be on their way. As we're the full-timers, we had the task of setting all the vehicles up, getting all our equipment ready, inventorying, and making sure everything was prepped and ready to go overseas. And then once we got that, we also had to separate what was going to be going with us to mobile station. So we all assisted supply with that. And I thought that gets talked about in the story. And then once we got to mobile station, we separated. So I was curious, you know, what the rest of that looked like for them. So Sergeant Carlson basically broke it down and went through the fact that once we got to mobile station and having the full force of having the M-Day guys to assist as well as her supply assistant, Specialist Bennett, it made things so much easier being active duty, per se, compared to being back home and just having the full-time staff to complete tasks. Because now you have all hands on deck. You were able to, you know, if need be, you could pull people from another section to assist you. And, you know, going home, it's going to be that much easier because we still have everybody available and all hands on deck. And that's pretty much just a breakdown of what the story was. We've talked about it on and off about, you know, the time that you spent leading up to Christmas for you know, December. And a lot of that time was spent, you know, at Fort Drum and, and, and whatnot, putting that, putting the equipment together, you know, doing bumper numbers and things like that. And, yeah, I think a lot of the traditional guardsmen don't get the chance to see that behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, they just they come in, you know, they do their required training. But they don't get to see what happens when when they're at their civilian jobs, you know, for for you guys when you're doing that. So it definitely opened up the eyes of uh, of folks to see, you know, kind of like the behind-the-scenes part of it. So you also uh, recently, most recently, covered a couple of uh, classes: one dealing with suicide awareness, and then another one dealing with uh, equal opportunity. First, tell us about the, the assist class. Uh, the assist class, you know, that hits home for a lot of people, especially in the military, because a lot of us have dealt with or know somebody who has dealt with, you know, committing suicide or they have a friend or even, you know, it kind of relates to outside too because, you know, we have a lot of people in the civilian sector that deal with this. Um, so I think when trainings like this are offered, it's very important for the military and it's nice to see engagement, especially from senior leadership. You know, I noticed that there's a lot of captains and above at this course. So that just shows, you know, they're looking to take care of their soldiers and they're looking to educate the force 
because a lot of these guys, when they leave these courses, they don't leave the course, you know, just educating themselves. They go out and they sit down with junior enlisted soldiers and stuff, and they go over things. And then that soldier carries it to the next soldier. And, you know, that's kind of how these classes are designed to work as well. It's, it's not just those who attend that learn, because the person is going to take those learnings and they're going to move on to the next guy and teach them without ever having to go to the course. It's just, you know, those who go to the course, they get the hands-on training with the SMEs, the experts who know. But, you know, you can learn just as much from secondary source as you can from the primary source, as long as the teaching is good, which I thought this, this class was conducted very well. But, yeah, you know, to get back to the fact of, you know, we deal with this on a daily basis in the military because, you know, we have that 22 a day. It's, you know, a big number. And, you know, anything we can do to cut down on that is obviously always always a benefit. So I think it's good that we have this class. There's going to be future classes. And I think for anybody out there, it's a great class to go and take and be part of. You know, even if you haven't dealt with this, you know, maybe you can help somebody else deal with this. So the class is aimed at not just leaders, but it's also it, it all ranks? All ranks, yes. It's for juniors, seniors, it doesn't matter. The class is for everybody because everybody out there is a preventative measure. Everybody is, a, you know, an ear to listen because anybody anywhere can prevent somebody from going over the edge. It might be something small in somebody's life that just needs somebody to listen to them. So, you, you know, it might be their, their next-door neighbor that they sit down with and have a conversation that saves that person's life. You just never know. Who do people contact if they want to go to that course? I know that, like you said, there's there's several, there, there, or at least there are a couple more coming up in the near future. I would get in contact with uh, any chaplains, you know, whether it be the 42nd's chaplain here with Task Force Spartan, or it be a chaplain, you know, through their chain of command, wherever it may be, get in contact with the chaplains because they are the ones setting up this course. And the EOLC course, what did it involve? So the EOLC is the Equal Opportunity Leadership course. And it was offered again by uh, Task Force Spartan EO, EOAs. Basically, they're the SMEs, and they same thing as you know the previous class is they teach junior and seniors of all ranks, and they go through and they break it down to make people realize that we have bi underlying biases that we don't even notice. So it just kind of an eye opener for people, and then they bring that knowledge and that and they bring it out to their soldiers and their commands and whatnot. And they break it down to the fact of, hey, you might be doing this, and it's being perceived this way, so just be careful. And it's more of an education thing because, like I said, a lot of people don't realize that they even have these biases because they've developed them growing up as a child all the way up through to where they are now in the service, and they don't think anything of it. It's just second nature. It's, it's like muscle memory. You don't even realize you're doing certain things or you're acting a certain way. So this class helps people to see that these things are taking place without even knowing about it. Because they do, uh, Sergeant Ross is one of the ones who conducted this class, and they do a, she told me about an exercise they do, it's called the life raft exercise while they're doing this. And they're basically given eight individuals, you know, all different ethnic backgrounds, religions, and whatnot. And you're just given a very small piece of information about these people, and you had to decide on this life raft which four got to stay and the other which other ones had to go off. So you're basically deciding who gets to stay on the island. And they, with the little information they get, were given, they went through and they broke it down and they mostly, they kept like a couple females because they had kids. Uh, they kept a couple of other people because like one was a doctor and whatnot. But then they give you more information for once you make that decision. And it's more of the eye-opening, that's the um, wow moment, as Sergeant Ross called it, where 
oh, geez, you know, that doctor you see, he was there having an affair, and now you just saved this guy, but he wasn't really worth saving as where you got rid of the woman who had, a, you know, was confined to a wheelchair, but she was a rowing champion and could have helped you get safety, you know, and just, it makes people realize that there's more to a person than just meets the eye, and you take the time to get to know somebody before you judge a book by its cover kind of deal. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good class to take. My understanding was it was a certification class for, for the for EO or for Equal Opportunity uh, Personnel. Was it a certification class? Yes, it was a certification class for it certified everybody who took it there. I believe they had 40 individuals because they had the 10 there or here in Kuwait, and then there was more in Camp Beering in Kuwait, and then there was also some more, uh, I believe, I want to say KSA, I think Sergeant Ross said, but throughout that, they had all these people, so they had virtual as well, but all these people became certified EOLs, so they all became equal opportunity leaders, so they weren't at the level that Sergeant Ross is at, being an advocate, but being a leader, they're able to conduct these sort of classes as well at their at their level. They can't certify people, but they can hold a course, you know what I mean, and teach people about this stuff now, because they are now SMEs themselves. That's good information. So pretty much sounds like you learned quite a bit from everything that we've covered over the last week, two weeks, three weeks. Thank you for joining us again. Pleasure to be here. So now I have with me uh, Sergeant Andrew Valenza, who's an, um, well, he's a PANCO or serving as one. He's really actually a combat camera guy. He's our, our expert when it comes to uh, camera operations and, and equipment. But he, he's doubling as a cross-trained PAO. So he's covered quite a bit of things lately as well, especially key leader engagements and then uh, an interesting story about our resident space soldiers. So uh, welcome, Sergeant Valenza. Thank you for having me. Um, so like I said, let's start with the, the, the key leader engagements. Um, you've done a couple of them. You did a couple on with the field artillery folks as well as uh, a medical one. Tell me about the field artillery KLEs. Uh, what are some of the things that are, you found interesting? What's your take on it? Something maybe people might find interesting about the things you've covered? I think probably the most interesting part of the field artillery KLE was the fact that I was able to you know, be there firsthand for us working with foreign military. Uh, it's a discussion I never really had before. So I got to firsthand learn about that kind of culture uh, and the way we interact with them. I spoke with a few people, got to know them personally, and it was something I never really expected to do. So I enjoyed that a lot. Well, I think it's important, too, to under, for folks to understand in this region of the world, too, is that, you know, relationships are very important. So building those relationships are key to to successful operations in the future. So I think doing these KLEs definitely helps to earn that respect, that trust, build that relationship so that we can do great things in the future. When it comes to the medical one, this one was unique. You got to go down and do a tour of quarantine facilities that the Kuwaiti uh, military runs. Um, tell me a little bit about that. So for that, I joined the 3rd Medical Command, and we took a trip to downtown Kuwait where they had a quarantine facility set up in which the Kuwaiti Ministry of Defense was working with 3rd Med to, uh, to provide health care for people affected by COVID-19. So it was interesting, interesting seeing how we were able to play a part in helping provide supplies and medicine 
and whatever was needed for Kuwait to deal with the coronavirus. And correct me if I'm wrong, we provided mostly guidance on it. And most, most, uh, yes, most of it was guidance, um, how to set up the facilities, what the best procedures were for social distancing and that kind of stuff. And we would step in when needed. First, it, you know, it helps them to be more prepared in the future, not just uh, medical disasters, but also, you know, natural disasters, stuff like that. So that could have at any moment the Kuwaiti government knows how to be more prepared for. And it's, you know, it can double back. We're here for them, and uh, they'll be here for us when we need them. I think the 3rd Med being a reserve unit and then the 42nd, our, our parent organization being National Guard, I definitely we're definitely uniquely qualified to deal with natural disasters and, and things like this and running shelters and, and providing that support to the local authorities. So I think this definitely is nested pretty pretty tightly with what we do back home. And then lastly, tell me about our space soldiers. So that was an interesting story I did because soldiers of the Space Corps are a very unknown skill set. So I got to learn firsthand what it's like and be able to share that story to, you know, shine a little light on them and learn about the qualifications needed to get into that job. It's a very labor-intensive field. takes a lot of training, and it was really interesting for me to learn about and then be, actually be there for them to receive their space badges. What's the what's the qualification requirement for that badge? So there's different levels of the space badge. Uh, these soldiers that I met, they were getting their base space badge, which takes two years of training to be able to receive. So these soldiers put in a lot of hard work, and it it definitely showed when I spoke with them. There's a lot of interest in it, especially with you know Netflix series uh, Space Force, the activation of of the, the um, Space Force as, as another military branch. I mean, there's there's natural curiosity among folks within the military about this. I mean, I can't count how many times I've seen on social media, that, you know, like, oh, wow, they activated the Space Force. Can I transfer? You know, I mean, I, all our PA folks are like, hey, when are they going to open up public affairs positions in Space Force? So Yeah, so that is interesting because there is that, you know, new interest in this stuff, and everybody's talking about the Space Force wanting to join it. People talk about people in the Army, like, oh, I can't wait to go to Space Force. But nobody knows that we already have positions like that. So I'm kind of glad that I got to shine that light because not only to give these people credit, but to show the opportunities that are available to soldiers that are interested in these fields. A lot of people don't realize that a good portion of that is in the National Guard. I mean, our guys are from the Colorado Army National Guard. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those fields that deserves a little bit more recognition. Well, great. Uh, okay, well, thank you very much for joining us. That wraps up this episode. To check out the stories we covered during the show, please check the Task Force Divids page at www.dividshub.net forward slash unit forward slash TF Spartan. And please be sure to check out past and future episodes by searching for the Spartan News on Apple iTunes Podcasts. Thank you.